Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Don't Fuck It Up. Uh, we have a very extra special guest for you today. You may know them from Channel 4's Drag SOS. It is the one, the only, TT Bang. Hiya, you're How right. Are you? <laughs> good, thank you. Amazing. I'm excited it's to so be good chatting to with someone. Thank you. It's an honor. So, how is lockdown for you? It's a roller coaster, I think. <laughs> it is for everyone, from mm-hmm. what I can tell. It's ups and downs, you know, could be better, could be worse. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. And are you keeping yourself sane in any way by doing, because uh, I've seen on your Instagram, you're doing a lot of crafts and creating outfits yeah. and stuff? Yeah, I was definitely doing a lot of that at the beginning because I had a lot of um, in- a lot of energy to do that, I guess, before the wears and tears of like mental health really kicked in. Yeah. Um, as I think many people also felt, you know, we were very, all right, let's go. Like, let's use this time wisely. Mm-hmm. But then things happen, you know, and I think, yeah, I'm trying to keep doing things that are creative to keep myself entertained, but also giving my time, myself space to like yeah. really just be able to process what's going on right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think you need to kind of just sit back sometimes and be like right this is actually happening and take it all yeah, exactly. in exactly but yeah and so also it affects so many different people around you as well and you well, don't does. know how you're going to react to them and like I think that's been one of the most difficult things for me is like so many people I love are really really struggling as well and mm-hmm. I'm such an empath I just like give them all my energy yeah <laughs> which you know is hard when there's a global pandemic <laughs> definitely definitely so obviously everyone knows the, your character, T.T. Bang, everyone knows that persona. But what we want to do on this podcast, what we do with all our guests is try and kind of get the background of how yeah. that person became who they are, essentially. They are. <laughs> so we'll go right the way back. And growing up for you was uh, being creative and performing always something that you did as a kid. Yeah, I did. I grew up with a single mom in, you know, who had quite a transient lifestyle. We moved quite a lot when I was young. So sort of every five years we moved around the country. Um, she actually worked in nightlife as well. <laughs> she okay. was a stripper, um, which is different to the mainstream, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, in some ways I'm really thankful because she raised me to be very conscious of what's really going on in the world and understand lots of different people's stories and to not judge people and just what they look like but yeah we weren't exactly the most financially stable so there was a lot of creativity my mom always encouraged me to make things and to sew and to recycle and make fabulous things out of nothing so I definitely got it from her (laughs) and when did performing come into your life I mean, it's always been there. I remember like setting up all the lamps in my living room and performing the entire Rest of Seven album to my mom at like the age of seven, you know, being like, I'm going to do a show for you now, mom. You have to watch the whole thing. It's Rest of Seven's album from beginning to end. Amazing. I think I actually did that myself. Rest of Seven was my jam back in the day. (laughs) It still is, babe. Exactly. Like that, that reunion, I was so salty that they didn't come to Ireland for that tour. And... Never got over it. Still never to this had day. A, never had a dream come true. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when, obviously you said performance always been part of your life, being creative has always been part of your life. When did you discover drag? Drag was something that was definitely always 
in my sphere because I was always quite attracted to things that were a bit more underground. I think mm -hmm. because of what my mom did as a job, we were quite often ostracized into similar communities to, mm -hmm. to queer people. Um, and yeah, we had people in our lives who did drag and that was very, there was very like, it wasn't really a big deal. You know, you see little glimpses of it here and there, but you don't really understand it. Mm. And I think it wasn't until I moved to London and I really went looking for it. You know, when I was at art school doing my A-levels, I'd definitely had an interest in it. And, you know, we don't have, we didn't have the internet in the same way that we do now. So yeah. all you had was, I mean, I used to read like Bizarre Magazine when I was a teenager. I don't know, you're probably too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like an alternative magazine and it would have like drag performers in it and queer mm. performers in it. Um, but when I moved to London, I really went looking for it. Um, I started going to the Black Cap. I was friends with me, who is now got, goes by meth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we started out in the sort of burlesque cabaret scene together and then okay. started doing these drag nights. And then really, we saw drag explode before our very eyes. It went from us, you know, doing club nights to Spice Girls albums or whatever at the, at the Black Cap in Camden <laughs> to, okay, we'll just book this drag from, from America. Their name is uh, Manila. And, you know, we saw the drag race revolution mm -hmm. blow up. We just happened to be on the court when it happened, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. So, I mean, I didn't intend for it to get this far. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so you never intended for it to be your career at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was like 100% just for my own pleasure. There was no, I, I didn't even think it was, it was a possibility, to be mm. honest. And I don't even know if it still is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it was a bit of one of those right time and place, you know, mm. we... Black Cap was a venue that only held about 150 to 200 people. And it got to the point where we were doing the Drag Race Girls for like three nights in a row because it was still a subculture then. Mm -hmm. And it, they weren't playing these huge venues and we yeah. were booking them. And I had the opportunity to DJ and I was getting, you know, we were getting no money for it. We were just doing it because we couldn't even believe it was happening. Yeah. It was fun. And it all got very out of control very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously with the drag race, it, it did essentially change drag the way it was perceived in the mainstream. How did yeah. it feel coming from something that felt not ostracized, but not looked at in the same way for it to change so drastically so quickly? I think at first it was very exciting Mm. because there, there suddenly became all of these other possibilities. Yeah. But I, I think obviously we very quickly realized that although it was becoming mainstream, we still didn't have a voice. You yeah. know, there was only one voice being heard and it's great that it's become the mainstream, but it's not all drag that's become the mainstream. It's a very Definitely. specific voice within drag that's become the mainstream. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think that took us some time to realize as well. And, you know, at points it was a bit like, oh, but what about, all about the work we've been doing over mm -hmm. here you know so yeah first it was I think it has done so many good things but it was you know we've been let down a little bit some mm -hmm. of us by the whole thing I, I've seen on social media you've been pretty vocal in terms of how drag race should incorporate all types of drag how do you think yeah. that going forward from either season two of the UK or onwards from the US Canada wherever it may be how do you think they should change? I think if you change it and you make it seamless and not a big deal, 
people will just accept it mm. because people have accepted Dragula and they've accepted all the, and they accepted, you know, drag SOS. I hardly had any questions about my gender, really. You know, there were a few, but I was surprised at how much people just accepted you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think the less they are proactive in talking about it, the bigger deal they're making it. Whereas they could just be like, oh yeah, you've applied and your standard is really high and you're what we're looking for. Okay, come on the show. You know, whereas I think they're making it a bigger deal than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. I think that there's been that outcry from fans so much lately that it's just time. And I think now is the time that they need to kind of buck up their ideas yeah. and look at what people are asking for and put queens. And especially that like with everything else going on in the world you know exactly. everybody else is stepping up and leading by example and you have this huge platform where you can really really make a difference mm -hmm. to so many people's lives and it's not that hard for you in fact you're still going to be very rich and make money out of that person yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you did mention uh the likes of dragula and drag sos obviously which you were a part of being a queen that doesn't fit that mold of the rupaul's drag race queen because you are a cis female. How did maneuvering around the drag scene at the beginning of your career, how was that? Oh God, it was much easier. <laughs> it was much easier before Drag Race had so much influence because people just didn't ask questions, you know? Yeah. When I started doing drag, I didn't know it was an issue, you know? I'd never mm -hmm. been like, oh, I'm going to be really controversial and break all the rules. I just did it because I wanted to do it. <laughs> and no one around me told me any different or that yeah. I couldn't, you know? And they were just loving and accepting and encouraged me and gave me space to explore myself. And I think that's kind of what we just have to do is give people that space. But the mainstream is obsessed with boxes and labels and putting people in these specific places and having to have something to call someone or a way of identifying them. And as queer people, we should be saying no to that. Yeah. We should be saying like, fuck your binaries, you know? Yes. And so when a lot of the people who do, ask things to me or like ask about my gender or whatever are mainly heterosexual or like heteronormative people for mm. to be honest or like really young which is quite sad it's like really young queer people who have just had drag race to look up to you know and that's that's sad in some ways like i feel fortunate that i got to grow up watching the queen of the desert and two wong fu and showgirls yeah. and these like iconic movies that were actually like in some ways very diverse compared to what drag race is giving to the next generation mm -hmm. and i feel like they need to have a bit more diversity in where they're getting their language from and I definitely think people need to broaden they won't ask any more questions <laughs> yeah so once you uh began drag and started developing tt buying how did you come up with your name and what was the inspiration behind the actual character that you created do you know what? It's really hard to answer the name question because I just, I just don't remember. <laughs> to be honest, like I just don't remember. So I know it's it's kind of similar to my my human name in mm. some ways, like the lettering and the the words. Uh -huh. I think visually look very similar to my name. I don't actually remember how I like came up with it. I think I must have just been like thinking of a list of names and then I got stuck with one. But I don't. <laughs> weight behind my name really I just mm. because in my everyday life 
people call everybody calls me TT now. There's very few people in my life who call me by my human name. So this sort of idea that TT is a character is kind of no longer there. It's like mm. this weird blur, you know, and and that's probably been quite a conscious thing. You know, I I started doing drag because I wanted to to elevate those parts of myself that I wanted people to, to see and what I wanted myself to be in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. you're putting on this drag and you're like, this is who I want to be. But I think when you do drag for as, I sound so old <laughs> for as long as I have, <laughs> which is like nearly 10 years now. And I wow. live, I live in drag, you know, like yeah. I'm, I live with my queer family. It is my community. It is my home. That line between it being a character and being who you are is really blurred because my drag has influenced who I am as a person so much. Mm-hmm. And you know, those things that I wanted to be, I have now become. Amazing. So it's like, where do you take it now? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you would say you are TT. It's kind of became your everyday yeah, life. I think so. Yeah. Obviously I don't wear loads of makeup every day, but I, <laughs> and, and I definitely do recognize that there is a, there is a difference in my behavior when I'm in drag, mm. but I'd like to think that the way I live my life and the power that I get in drag, I can now take forward into my everyday life. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a nice way to, to kind of. Not to toot my own horn. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, Meth, who is now me. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get to begin working together and booking them gigs and starting to DJ? How did that all become? So I met me when they used to do burlesque before mm-hmm. drag was a thing. And I used to do burlesque as well. And it was like a very small scene in those days. And there wasn't many queer people. And so you very quickly learned who the other queer people were <laughs> and became friends with them. <laughs> and she used to go by the name Mr. Mistress. Um, yeah. And yeah, we just became friends. And then they got a job at the Black Cap and were booking people to perform there. And, we, and I got booked there a few times. And then we, I did a like femme-focused queer night there. And I was like, oh, I'm sick of all the DJs in London. I want to DJ, kind of as a joke. And then I did it and then everyone really liked it. So then I just kept doing it. And then the rest is history. Uh, <laughs> there was no real I... plan to any of this career. It's just making <laughs> up as it all along. <laughs> well, now DJing is how I met you the first time in Belfast at Pride last year. 2019 yeah it feels like the it's years such a good time blurred. there it's such a good time <laughs> it was such a good night and you've been DJing across the world so how does it feel starting something out of a whim to becoming traveling across the world doing something you love um you know what I thought you know like when you're young and you're like I'm gonna be a superstar yeah. and I'm gonna own it and I'm gonna be amazing like I really thought that I would feel like that the entire time but <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was a point where I think I got booked to DJ um, for Google at Pride mm-hmm. where the day before I just couldn't sleep because I did feel like I was like, I'm faking this and everybody's going to know soon that I'm making this up <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and like, I, I, I do get really bad anxiety sometimes, but it is always at those events where it's like, the next step and you know mm-hmm. you have to get over yourself and you have to push through that feeling because that's what I've learned is that feeling is just like all those bad things coming out to try and niggle away at you and tell you you're not worthy of this or 
you don't deserve this. Yeah. And that's not true. So, you know, I, I've had to check in with myself many times along the way and be like, actually, no, you can do this. And yeah, I think there was another point a few months later when I was DJing at the Roundhouse and I was on stage and I was doing it and I was just like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> I actually know what I'm doing. And this is like, it's like a really personal moment for me where I was like, I oh, know you're not making it up now. I think like you actually know. <laughs> that we like both just switched on at the top. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing that lots of people feel with, with their careers or their jobs or their passions is you do feel like a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes and mm. everybody's going to know that you don't know what you're doing, but it's good to remember that no one really does. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just going with the flow day by day. You yeah. learn as you go. <laughs> That's the idea anyway. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so for anyone that hasn't seen you live, whether it be performing or DJing, someone that's coming to your show, what would they expect to see? Um, it's uplifting. It's powerful. It's queer femme focused it's body positive it's sometimes political sometimes emotional you'll always learn something you'll always laugh <laughs> that, that sounds like a ball <laughs> thank you <laughs> um while i was researching and about yourself obviously for this interview i came across that in 2019 attitude magazine recognized you as a queer voice of the future how did it feel like reading that and seeing like thinking these people think that you are a voice for our future? It's really strange because it's quite surreal in some ways. Like it's, it is hard to accept it. And it is actually only now almost a year later that I'm really trying to take ownership over that mm -hmm. because it is hard, especially when you've been an outcast your entire life. And when you, you still are, you know, I'm still not completely recognized in some scenes for mm. what I do. And so it is difficult to accept that praise, <laughs> but I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to, <laughs> I actually forgot about that. You know, I'm going to put that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Sometimes it takes time for things to like sink, sink in. in. Yeah. Mental health, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> so what do you think have you done in the past to, be recognized as a queer voice of the future? I think I've unapologetically taken up space <laughs> <laughs> in, in a predominantly like gay male space, mm -hmm. to be honest. You know, I, I DJ in predominantly gay male parties, you know, the, they're the, the main customer, you know, Attitude Magazine, it's a lovely publication, but if you look at the pages of it, it's very geared towards men one audience yeah. you know and i have always been very vocal about who i am and not pandered to being someone's gay best friend you know i don't want to just be a token or you know a bit of entertainment i will tell mm -hmm. you my politics and i will call you out if I, th I disagree with what you say and i think there need to be more people that take ownership over their voice and feel entitled to take up space within the community i agree i agree so looking forward into the future, how are you going to carry on with that voice of the queer community? I'm trying, I'm trying to write more, to be honest. This is something I'm trying to do. I really want to like tell my story more in a way that can help people 
who don't want to watch drag shows mm-hmm. like there are you know i feel like there is a lot of drag and it's i love drag but conversations don't always have to be about drag they can yeah. also be about our queer experiences and i think like at this moment in time i want to share some of my queer experiences and some of the experiences i've been through you know they probably will end up being drag shows realistically but <laughs> <laughs> but i want to i'm just trying to you know, find different ways to tell yeah. stories and to to connect with people that isn't just dancing around to Ariana Grande on stage, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm getting to the point where, like, especially being in quarantine, I'm a bit like, let's see if there's other ways yeah. that we can empower well, each other. This is the perfect time to get creative because you're stuck at home and you don't really have much else to do. Exactly. <laughs> I hope more people have been reflective during this Yes, <laughs> definitely. You had mentioned there about uh, your queer experiences and obviously one big queer experience for everyone in this community is coming out. How was that for you? Like, was it a, an emotional experience yeah. or was it kind of a standard, oh God, like, nice babe. one? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't a nice one, but it wasn't horrific. It was somewhere in between. Um, I think... It wasn't so much as a, I didn't like come out in the way I like went around and told everyone I was gay. Mm. I just got a girlfriend who was, is very non-binary. You know, they are a very non-binary person and I was just attracted to them as a person and I didn't mm. know what that meant. I'd never thought maybe I'm gay, maybe. In fact, until I was about 15, I had no interest in sex whatsoever. I was really just like not fussed with the whole thing. And then I saw a queer person literally the only like probably the first non-binary person of my age that I'd ever seen and I was just like wow you're amazing and Mm -hmm. gorgeous and uh, I ended up being in a relationship with that person for about five years and you know but I lived in rural Cumbria so with that experience of owning this relationship was a lot of backlash from the community you know and there was a lot of bullying and there was a lot of homophobia that was allowed to happen in school that nobody Mm. addressed in fact teachers said that I was the problem you know if I didn't want to be bullied don't be gay in school you know and yeah it's actually only during this lockdown experience I've been able to connect with some other queer people from my school and we're Mm. hopefully going to proactively approach the school and ask them what they're doing about that's amazing the homophobia because actually it's not until you're an adult where you can look back and you realize that it's not only the kids that are the problem the Mm. the adults are also complicit in that bullying and for a long time I definitely blamed my peers instead of looking at the bigger structure of the school and being like oh yeah you know this was allowed to happen to me but I think it's our responsibility now to help teach teach people that are teaching or you know raising children how to stop homophobia or stop racism at the very root Mm -hmm. so you know I did have I did have to overcome things and I feel like I mainly punished myself for a very long time. You know, I I took to self-harming for many years and self-prescribing like pain medication. I would Mm -hmm. steal from relatives and all kinds of self-destructive things that a lot of queer people go through. You know, these are shared experiences that we all hopefully live through. Um, But I really hope that the next generation, they don't have to have these coming out stories and experiences they can just be like one day I fell in love and it was fine (laughs) yeah yes speaking about changing like curriculums and stuff in school I did see recently that Scotland have now been the first country 
that are going to be teaching same-sex education in history. Yeah. And that is incredible. It's a great first Especially step. Especially for Ireland. That's amazing. Yeah. So okay. it's How is it unreal. taking so long? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah. But it's really, yeah, I'm, I keep reminding myself it's very important to not be like, oh, why is it taking so long? And be like, okay, it's happening now. Let's yes. embrace it. Let's move on. And just keep that momentum going. We want to see yeah. that change everywhere and for it to exactly. continue to grow and keep going. But like we were discussing, mainstream drag always usually cis male gendered drag queens, but you changed that once you appeared on Drag SOS. You were one of the first uh, female <laughs> drag queens that I had seen on TV, yeah. which was amazing. And so how I did that? I was the first on mainstream British TV. Well, there you go. That, <laughs> th- that's another thing to put on your CV. so how did that uh opportunity come to you did you pitch that idea or was it approached so cheddar worked with the production team to come up with the idea Mm -hmm. and then cheddar asked me to be on board basically like cheddar insisted basically that there be a female drag queen on board because Cheddar is somebody who's very politically active and very outspoken and is very just and fair and saw that, you know, this is a thing that's not being dealt with. So instead of begging RuPaul to allow them, I'm going to be proactive and do it myself. (laughs) That's the way to get things done nowadays is just to kind of throw yourself out there and get it done. I mean, don't get it wrong. It was a huge pressure. You know, I was like (laughs) incredibly anxious the entire time about having to represent an entire community of people that has never been represented on TV. But the best I could do is just be myself. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'm happy happy with what I did. And the amount of people that it's touched is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned Cheddar there. So obviously Cheddar is a part of the Family Gorgeous and were yeah. you a part of that family before shooting or was it something that just kind of came with that? <laughs> it's kind of something that came with that. I, I'd known Cheddar again from the Black Cap. We used to get him mm. down to perform um, with the Drag Race Girls. And I've known the Family Gorgeous for a long time just because similar tribes, same scene. I guess. <laughs> yeah, same scene, same ethos, you know, and obviously we travel all over the country being drag queens and, yeah, I guess when I signed up to Drag SOS, part of the deal was that I'm now officially a member of the <laughs> for the sake of television. But I, I mean, it's not the most malicious, contrived thing that's ever been on yeah. reality TV. So. <laughs> <laughs> and how was the show to, to film? Like, was it an enjoyable experience? <laughs> it was an emotional roller coaster. It you know what? Like we, a... we really did not expect it to be the emotional labor that it was i think we definitely thought we were all gonna feel like got quan fantasy and we were just like gonna give people makeovers and it's gonna be really fun and kitsch um and i think yeah at first it really took us aback being like mm-hmm. because you know we live drag we're around drag queens all the time we're yeah. so used to it you know we complain about having to do drag you know and we forget how powerful it can really be especially for somebody that's never done it before yeah and so we were really taken back by how much it touched people and how much people opened up to us because we're not around these kinds of people all the time and they've Mm. never had this opportunity to open up like this so I mean it was amazing it was it was the best one of the best experiences of my entire life I'll never forget it it was exhausting (laughs) but to touch people and like really change people's lives through 
just like something that you love doing Mm -hmm. you just can't ask for more than that in life really I think you were able to change people's perception on drag and queer people just by coming into their homes hearing their stories and helping them through whatever trauma they may have had in their previous like years and it was amazing to watch oh thank you so much (laughs) is is there it's really hard like when you're in it you're just so in it that you don't think about how other people are watching it and perceiving it and how you're touching them as well I mean you know some of it was difficult for us having to go to these small towns and Mm -hmm. be so visible in these places that a lot of us have been ostracized from and have come from and we know what kind of prejudice these places come with and so in a a sense we're having to get over ourselves as well and so you just kind of forget that the the bigger people out there watching Mm -hmm. through the tv are also going to (laughs) be you know affected by seeing you yeah and was there any of the the towns that you visited that you kind of received any pushback or drama from the town itself not really do you know like Ipswich was probably the only place we had anyone say anything directly to our faces like obviously you get you know kids in cars zooming Mm -hmm. around who shout things at you I think in Dudley we got like something shouted at us out of a car like a really retro homophobic slang <laughs> okay. it was like it was like i was like whoa um but mainly people I, I mean the thing is when you've got a tv crew with you people are drawn to you like moths to a flame <laughs> and they will do anything for a bit of their time so people are really nice to your faces god know what the, god knows what they were saying behind <laughs> <laughs> and is there a moment or a story from filming the show that still sticks with you today oh my god so much um i think uh anna from ipswich whose husband passed away i mean i'm constantly like watching what she's doing and making sure like her family and her are okay and reaching out to them if they need some love you know they that's that family unit and seeing that pain was something I'll never forget. Mm. And seeing that love between two people was just like, as someone that comes from, you know, a broken home, seeing that kind of love was really powerful to me. Um, Also seeing Alison's story and, you know, knowing that she might never be accepted by her family because of her trans identity, you know, that you never forget, you never forget seeing people's vulnerability and yeah. every one of them, I love all of them. They're like our children. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still keep in contact with people from the show? Yeah, we keep in contact with all of them. We're friends with all of them on Facebook That's amazing. and chat. And, yeah. <laughs> and did you ever expect the, the show to become so popular while you were filming? I don't think it became popular enough, babe. Well, <laughs> it, it, it didn't become popular season? enough. But for the, the, the niche market that it did hit, it hit it hard. Yeah. And I think, you know, we would have, we compromised a lot on the show as well. You know, when you're working with a big TV company, you have to make mm-hmm. a lot of compromise. And we definitely had very strong opinions about what we wanted it to be. Okay. And I feel like there are ways that it, we could have reached a broader audience. I think we wanted it to be more of a family show, mm-hmm. but the mainstream is still quite scared of drag, you know, yeah. although drag race is really friendly. Like there is a bit of a, a little bit of a pushback. But I mean, when we do the drag conventions or drag world and we get to meet, you know, we get to do meet and greets for like nine hours and ridiculous things and meet, especially young people. I mean, 
it's amazing. It's just, mm -hmm. it's so touching and it is really encouraging to keep you going <laughs> through the hard times. So would you do a season two, obviously, if it was ever given the opportunity? <laughs> of course we all would, I so think. Can we, can we I mean, start this petition six... <laughs> to get a season two? I think there already is one. <laughs> I would do anything to spend six weeks with Lil again, because Lil is the funniest person. Like, I've never laughed so much in my entire life just watching <laughs> someone that ridiculous go through the world. Yeah. Like, I'll do it all again. I won't sleep again for six weeks. If you want to watch you. <laughs> and were you approached when they brought out We're Here? for the American, essentially it's the American <laughs> version of Drag SOS, but they just yeah. didn't use the name of your show oh, yeah. or credit it in any way. No, no, yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't. I think our production company reached out to them, but it's, I think, I believe it's HBO. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the big American ones. And like, we're a tiny production company that, yeah. you know, makes a niche TV show about drag queens. There is no way we are in any way going to be able to take legal action yeah. against that. But it does, it does hurt. But at this point I'm used to being like, kicked in the balls by drag race <laughs> you know it's not the first time and i'm sure it won't be the last yeah i think the least that they could have done was at least give you guys some recognition for basically giving them the idea for the show and then yeah. that could have brought a broader audience to drag sos yeah but, it would have been nice yeah <laughs> but that's not how the gatriarchy works no, unfortunately. <laughs> i believe that like um i think it's like holland and somewhere else have bought the rights to do their own version of drag sos oh, with, like local queens there so like that's cute i mean you just can't compete with with those those drag race girls like there's no point and unless they actively decide to be inclusive it's just going to be like this forever mm -hmm. you know it's it's sad and i hope that at some point it does change yeah but if it you know if it doesn't then we just have to be happy with doing our own thing it'd be good for something like netflix or amazon prime to pick up the show to stream it across yeah. like different countries for it to reach people that may never have seen it yeah, I think I think it's out in uh, New Zealand and Canada, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it's out, it's out on like Out TV. Now okay, TV, not now. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people do like people are still following us, and people I still get messages from people that are watching it and want to yeah. reach out, and it's it's really nice. And obviously, when we discussed your DJing beforehand, is there one place in the world that you? prefer to go like your favorite place to DJ and is there anywhere that you would still want to go that you haven't been yet oh god there's loads of places I I really enjoyed Manchester Pride last year I just had I just had the most magical weekend I think <laughs> because of like Drag SOS and also I got to DJ at like three different stages Unreal. all through the day and like I really felt like I was in it like I was in Pride whereas yeah. sometimes like especially in London because it's so big and so spread out you don't you feel like you're going from party to party whereas like mm -hmm. in Manchester there is a real sense of like a, a community there and yeah. yeah I would I would love to go and do Manchester Pride again soon <laughs> oh, <I think> <laughs> you remember when uh, we could actually go out and enjoy Pride I know. but it's not this year <laughs> so sad um where else oh, I I went to India as well last year in October and I got to tour India that was amazing um especially because you get to reach like queer people who 
don't have access to anything mm-hmm. like we do. You know, they don't have as even like one gay bar in their cities and they yeah. are living in fear consistently every single day. And to be able to connect with those people, that was, I mean, that was amazing. Like the stories and yeah, just hearing people's experiences. I'll never, I'll never forget that. I would love to go to, I haven't done the US yet, you know. I'd probably really? like to go to New York. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. Jodie Harsh was like, probably like four years ago, she told me, you have to go to New York. You have to do New York. And I just find it really intimidating because I'm really camp and I feel like they're like really serious. <laughs> so obviously we're still in lockdown and things are a bit strange, but do you have any upcoming projects that you're currently working on or that you have in the pipeline? Oh. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I have, we have a documentary coming out with Glitterbox that I work with mm-hmm. um, about the history of disco and house and the LGBTQ community. And I'm in it. Honey Dijon's in it. Billy Porter's in it. Wow. Sister Sledge is in it. It's fab. And <laughs> I've seen an edit of it. And it's really good. <laughs> um, that's coming out soon. And also Drag Queen's Den, which is like a, a internet series that I've been filming, which I think will be out on Out TV maybe next year, mm-hmm. which is like a, a drag a online drag competition, a bit like mm. Dragon's Den, I guess. It's called Dragon's <laughs> Den. <laughs> With me, Vinegar Strokes, Ginzilla and Adam Wall as the judges slash mentors. Amazing. And yeah, it's really camp as well. So I, I love a good camp. Like it. Camp TV shows, you can't beat them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially if you have yourself and vinegar strokes playing off each other too like i've interviewed yourself and i've interviewed vinegar so if i can see both of these at the same time yeah that's gonna be a hoot and a half <laughs> giving like commentary on baby drag queens that <laughs> at home. i mean it's yeah <laughs> given rupaul's drag race is in the uk now i've seen people online kind of ask for you to be on the show would it be something that mm-hmm. you would ever do or consider doing? I mean, I don't know. I might have applied for season two and been rejected. Oh. Really? Oh. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's, it's, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say because I have signed a contract that says I'm not allowed to say anything, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that they don't poach people for the show. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to say that maybe I was asked to apply, maybe I wasn't, and then I did, and then I got rejected. So, okay. I mean, I feel like that does say a lot about where they're at politically yeah. with the show. You know, they have they have the opportunity, you know. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not a producer on the TV show, so <laughs> let me know. Well, I see rumours all the time about myself being on yeah. it, and I think it's hilarious, but yeah. Would Call it be? Would you, would you go back for season three if, if the opportunity arose again? Yeah, absolutely. I will. I will keep applying every year out of out of context more than anything because Amazing. I will not. Yeah, I mean, you have to unless we keep applying. You know, I've had conversations with other drag kings and other female drag queens where we've been like, we have to apply every year because yeah. if we're not applying, then they can keep saying, oh well, it's not like they're interested. They're not interested or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to make sure that they don't have any excuses not yeah. to be doing this, you know? So I am not the only female drag queen that has applied for RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, there have been others. There are mm-hmm. opportunities there. It is completely their position, position. as to yeah. why they're not 
putting more different binaries in you know it's just, i don't understand it's wild <laughs> because you look you at la- the, the spearhead of progress and yeah. then not be progressive definitely <laughs> loot land insider just won dragula season three and that just goes to show you that it can be done and it, people accept yeah. it like it's it's no problem yeah. so i don't see what the the blockage or what's stopping them just kind of taking that step forward in the show yeah it really rubs it in when I see the like the snatch games where people do like impersonations of male like a- male actors or yeah. you know like Shakey just did um what's his name Flavor Flav Flavor Flav yeah that's the one you know because that is like what you're saying when you're saying that drag has to be one person portraying the other gender mm-hmm. then you're contradicting everything you've ever said when you're yeah. allowing that to happen and then celebrating it. It's just ridiculous at this point. And it's actually a bit rude. <laughs> <laughs> you're actually just being rude now. <laughs> <laughs> just go up to RuPaul at next drag con. Just like, you're being rude. <laughs> just let, yeah. let's get this going. And you know, it's wild when, you know, I get asked to drag world into drag world UK and we, I got asked to do drag world LA. And it's oh, like wow. drag con LA. And it's like, why are you asking me? to come and be in your space when you're not going to actively allow me to partake in your competition. Yeah. Because I will go up against all of those cisgendered twinks. I don't mind, you know? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I'll still wear padding in a corset. I don't care. I'll do the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that's different is nothing looks, nothing is really different at all. It's, you're all- Especially because now a lot of them don't put on boobs. You know, they do a lot more like genderly ambiguous drag on the show. Mm. It's not like they're just impersonating females. Yeah. You know, we need but to they know that. change this and <laughs> let's, let's hope, hope for the best that maybe in the near future that something will change and it'll kind of, they'll accept everyone onto the show. Yeah. It'd be so much more fun as well. I'm so bored of seeing the same drag over and over again. I feel like they need something new, you know? The, the fact that they're pumping out like six shows in the space of like six months as well. It's mm-hmm. like, it's the same like formula yeah. every time. And now they're doing the the, the Vegas TV show. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's usually the same the queens that they're featuring. And it's just like, people need a bit of variance on And it's really what difficult because I see quite often on like, blogs or whatever where people are commenting on oh well people often say this they say well oh if you don't like it then make your own tv show and like i don't think they realize how easy that is (laughs) like it's so easy to say that but rupaul has got so much power behind him like you can't you actually can't compete with it no it's 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 just like the most ignorant thing yeah there's a full production company plus one of probably the most influential drag queens in the world you, you yeah. can't just go, oh, I'm going to start my own competition called GT <laughs> Bangs Drag Race. It's not like you can do that at a click yeah. of a finger. And no. people, I think, need And even to Dragula, that. though. Yeah, it's even Dragula, like people critique it and stuff. But, you know, at least they're trying, you know, yeah, it's not perfect, but nothing is going to be perfect to everybody. That's yeah. why there's so much TV. Why can't we just have a big variety of different drag shows so that everybody's needs are met? You know, that's also mm-hmm. a thing. Any production companies who want to commission me to make a TV show, I will happily do that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what it'll be yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> Put it out into the world that will happen. That's <laughs> exactly. Good look at life. <laughs> so... For our listeners that are obviously listening because they're listeners, how do they follow <laughs> you on social media? And what is the best way for them to, to get in touch? 
you can follow me on Instagram uh, at tt underscore bang and Twitter at tt oh what is my Twitter tt bang sos <laughs> i don't even know i hardly ever use twitter so don't add me on twitter just go to my instagram i'll give you everything you need on that <laughs> and is there a way for them to support you with uh merchandise or anything else absolutely all of my links are on my instagram to merch and drop me a message if you want some advice i love doing that yeah well, you can be slide in my dms full agony out for people <laughs> well you know that's a thought maybe we could do that too <laughs> that, that's all about this with cheddar no well yeah me and cheddar have thought about it i think would be good for agony ants that, that would be good that would be something i would watch so let's get, <laughs> let's get this going <laughs> okay i'll do that now <laughs> uh tj i just want to say thank you very much for for joining me today it's been so nice sitting and chatting with you it's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that you will be back in, in Belfast doing another gig very me soon. Too. <laughs> I can get oh you another tequila want, shot. Was, was it I had dirty chips when I was at Dirty Goujon. Oh, That's what oh. I had. Oh my God, it was the most delicious thing. It was like chips with goujons. And then there was like curry, curry sauce, gravy, yeah. mayonnaise, sweet chili. Oh my God, it was delicious. That, that's a concoction that only people from Belfast can appreciate. <laughs> and I will be back for more very soon. <laughs> good, good. Um, like I said, it's been so, so nice sitting and chatting with you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your lockdown experience. And hopefully, fingers crossed, it's over soon so we can get back to our normal lives and enjoy queer Woo-hoo! spaces again. It would be amazing. That would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it would. But yes, enjoy the rest of your day and we will speak again Thank soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.